You've probably seen this game before, although it's not really a game. Somebody will be standing by the side of the street, and they invite you to come over and guess which shell the P is under. And they'll have three shells and one P. They'll put the P under the shell, and then they kind of switch the shells all around. And then they ask you to guess which one the P is under, and, and you guess. And, and every time, you guess incorrectly. And then they lift up another shell, and, and, and there the P is. What you need to understand is that the trick is you cannot possibly ever be right. Why? Because the P isn't under any of the shells. It's a trick. When they start they, and they're shuffling the shells around, what they're actually doing is the individual will secretly remove the P from under the shell where it was so that when you're guessing, it's not under any of the shells. And then, as they're about to show you, they secretly slip it under one of the other shells and show you where it was, but it really wasn't. Not a very nice trick, was that? I'm not sure if John had ever seen the shell game trick, although that trick has been around for a very, very long time, and it's actually possible he may have seen it. But in this passage we're going to read this morning, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 15. The Bible describes the original shell game. Here's how the scripture describes it. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. When it comes to this shell game, don't fall for it. Something we all have to learn as believers is that stuff will not make us happy. Now, deep down, we know that's true. We've all wished for something, we've longed for something, and then finally we went out and bought it. And when we actually had it, it just wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be. But we keep getting fooled. We think the next thing will actually work. And it isn't just stuff. It can be the next relationship, the next job, the next address, you name it. Something we don't currently have, we think, if I could just have that, then things would be okay. But they won't. John calls it the love of the world. And he's not saying the things of, of this world or, or even having stuff is, is evil, because it's not. It's when that's where our affection is. When that becomes the overall goal of our life, that's where the problem comes in. The Jewish philosopher Philo noted that war is almost always traced to exactly this. To a desire for more wealth or more fame or more power. And it's not just war. John goes all the way back to the beginning. He compares this problem, this wishful thinking, this desire for that which we don't have, to Adam and Eve's original sin. Verse 16, he says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, 
The lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. He takes that directly from Genesis 3. The cravings when Adam and Eve looked at the fruit of the tree. Wow, it looked good. The eyes. The fruit of the tree was a delight to their eyes. When they didn't have it, it looked so wonderful. And the boasting. The serpent told them that it would make them like God. Satan hasn't changed his M.O. He continues to do this same shell game over and over and over again. Why? Well, probably because it works. We keep buying the same bill of goods, thinking that this time it's going to be different. It never is. And John identifies why. It is because it doesn't come from God. Someone who buys into the lie has blinded themselves from what really matters. The love of God. They're searching for the pea, but it's not under any of the shells. It's like if somebody were to go to Andy's Frozen Custard, walk up to the window and order a hamburger, and the person behind the window will kindly explain, Sir, I'm sorry, this is Andy's Frozen Custard. We don't have hamburgers. We have frozen custard. And the guy says, well, okay, give me a cheeseburger instead. And they say, well, no, you don't understand. We only have custard. That's why they call it Andy's frozen custard. No hamburgers, just custard. And the guy says, well, all right, then I'll just have some fries to go. Well, no matter how many times this guy asks, you're going to get the same answer. No hamburgers, no cheeseburgers, no fries, just frozen custard. Now, not a bad thing there. <laughs> After all, who doesn't like frozen custard? What John points out is just as ridiculous but far more dangerous. We continue coming to the world for something the world doesn't have. And it doesn't matter how many times we try to find it here. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, but John doesn't leave us there. Because he tells us what the world doesn't have, Jesus does. In verse 17, John restates the problem and then he gives the solution. Verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Sometimes the world seems as if it is in an endless spiral. There is a constant series of wars that continue to no end of senseless violence, of self-centered decisions, when will it all end? Well, the answer is, 
One day it will all end. Not only the world, the Bible says, but the desires of the world will pass away. See, that's one of the keys to Satan's game, his shell game. Whatever promises he's making you, ultimately he can't keep. Because this world is passing away. And not only this world is passing away, but the desires of this world are passing away. Not only will the things of this world one day be gone, but nobody's going to miss them. Nobody's going to look back and wish for the good old days of world hunger, poverty, and injustice. But in contrast, the things of God... They're here to stay. Living in the will of God is a long-term investment. The things of this world, they have an expiration date. Now, I'm told that uh, when you go to the grocery store, you can pick up items and and stamped on food items, there will be a date. But they have different meetings. Uh, According to the Institute of Food Technology... There are three kinds of expiration dates that you'll find when you're in the grocery store. There's the sell-by date, the best-by date, and the use-by date. Now, I know you're on the edge of your pew wondering what all those are, so I'm going to tell you this morning. You won't have to go home without having learned anything today. If you look and it says sell-by and a date, that date is actually not for you. That, that date is actually for the person selling that item to you. It informs the merchant when the product should be sold, and if it's past that date, it ought to be removed from the shelf. But it doesn't mean that the item has gone bad. In fact, typically, a product that is past its sell-by date is only about two-thirds, or only about a third gone. It typically has two-thirds of its useful life left. That's the sell-by date. If it says best buy and a date, that date is aimed for you. That's aimed for the person who's purchasing the product. It signifies the time when something should be eaten and it will be at its best value. If it's past that date, then the fruit might not be quite as fresh or the bread might not quite have the best consistency Finally, though, there's the use-by date. And again, this, this is another date that's directed toward you. It means that if you haven't eaten it by this date, you need to throw it away. <laughs> it's not safe to eat, or at least it might not be. And if you ask me, I'd rather not find out the hard way. What I do know about all of those dates They all mean that sooner or later, whatever it is that you're about to eat, you probably shouldn't. Because it all goes bad. John notes that's not just true for a can of tuna. Everything in this world, even the very best that this world has to offer, everything has an expiration date. Not only is it going bad, 
It's not even going to exist anymore. But the things of God are different. A billion years from now, when our sun has ceased to shine, when this world has ceased to exist, we will still know the very same love, the very same mercy, and the very same grace that we know today in Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, where are we going to invest our life? That which will one day no longer be? Or in that which will never cease? Heavenly Father, help us. It's so easy to get confused in this world. To see the bright and shiny things. And think, if only I could have that, my life would be right. If only I could have that. Everything would be better. God, that's never the case. You've given us wonderful blessings. You've provided a beautiful world in which we can live and enjoy and grow. Lord, help us to realize that what's in this world will never ultimately satisfy. What we need is you. What will last, what will never pass away, is your love, your mercy, and your grace. God, help us see that. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.